Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We're going to talk now about where we are, as far as our guest is concerned, where we in Canada are, as far as energy and uh, energy crisis and pricing is concerned. Dan McTagg is the founder and president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, 18 years a member of Parliament, who is a uh, parliamentary secretary and worked very closely with former Prime Minister Paul Martin, who was also the finance minister of this country. How are you, Dan? I'm fine. Great day to climb a tower, uh, Roy. Yeah, good to talk to you. And last weekend, we spoke with uh, my next guest, Katja Hoyer. She uh, wrote an op-ed in unheard.com. That's U-N-H-E-R-D.com. And the op-ed was titled, In Germany, Our Energy Crisis is Far Worse than yours. She also closely details what's going on in England, where natural gas, Ms. Hoyer told us, climbed 70% in uh, in August alone. August alone. Uh, Katja Hoyer's book, most recent book, is actually going to be released in two or three weeks, Blood and Iron, The Rise and Fall of the German Empire, 1871 to 1918. Katja, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much for taking the time. How are you? Hello, Roy. I'm fine. Thank you for having me on again. Yeah, we want to look at what's going on in Europe, and then I want to ask my friend Dan uh, for his comparisons with what's going on in Canada and what he foresees for this country. So would you remind us, please, what the energy situation is, what the natural gas crisis situation is in England? What's happening right now? Well, it's, it's fairly severe um, in the short term and perhaps even worse in the long term because worldwide demand of natural gas has gone up quite significantly. So China, for example, just this year um, is using 8.4% more, which in the you know grand scheme of things, when you consider the size of the Chinese economy, is, is huge. Um, and so Europe is sort of sat there, you know, waiting for the for the increase in demand that it has to be satisfied from the world market and nobody really... Um, has enough sort of natural gas and, and resources left to pass it over to Europe. And so um, with the increase in demand um, after COVID um, happening in, in Britain and Germany and France and elsewhere, and, and that sort of coincides with the, with the supply chain crisis as well, um, energy is pretty sparse at the moment and that's driving prices up. And the government's trying to counter that or governments in various European countries are trying to counter that by putting... Um, sort of caps in place, energy price caps, um, which in turn means that the energy companies are are going bust one by one because they just can't afford to sort of buy energy at higher prices and not pass on the um, the buck to the to the consumer. So what is happening to the consumer? Let's start with uh, with England. What's happening to the consumer and particularly the consumer who may be not particularly well off and is needing to heat a home and buy groceries and take care of their lives. What's happening to that consumer, first of all, as far as energy supply and affordability is concerned? So the prices have slowly crept up, but not um, in tandem with the way that the the prices have crept up for the um, suppliers themselves, simply because of these artificial caps that are being 
put in place. Um, but at some point, that's going to be unsustainable because, as I say, the, the companies themselves can't afford it anymore, and, and a lot of them have already collapsed. Um, and so at some point, once you take that artificial cap off to try and save the um, the energy companies themselves, the prices are going, the price hikes are going to be passed on to the consumers as well. And I think at that point, it's really it's really going to to hit home. Um, the UK and Germany actually both have already uh, got some of the highest um, energy prices in in Europe, um, and there's going to be a real crisis, I think, in the winter. The, uh, the, the we talked last weekend, and uh, we finally got around petrol and gas. Right? I mean, we call it gas, <laughs> you call it petrol. But there were situations, and it was significant. There were situations where there were petrol stations, but just didn't have any. Correct. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty severe. So, for instance, my my house is about a mile or so away from the petrol station, and we had the queues literally in front of the house from that petrol station all the way down, um, as people were desperate to try and fill up their their cars. Although that wasn't part. Uh, caused by a supply chain crisis so a lot of uh, lorry or, or truck drivers haven't come back basically simply after COVID because working conditions are uh, not great in the sector um, and so they've just basically not returned to their to their jobs which means that there's a shortage in, in lorry or truck drivers um, and the other issue is that um, this was reported fairly widely across the media and so panic buying basically set in and, and a lot of people rush to fill their cars up all of a sudden and and, and demand went up by i think of something like 70 80 percent suddenly over a weekend um for for petrol or gas um and the yeah basically the petrol station could stations couldn't keep up with that and that that was that was a short-term problem but in the long term obviously the the sort of chronic lack of supply um or the, the imbalance of supply and demand is going to uh, lead to that happening more often, I would imagine. So what's coming out in the mouth of Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of uh, the UK, who was just attending the COP26 conference in Glasgow? I heard a quote from uh, the Prime Minister about half an hour ago. I have no idea what he said. He was speaking words, but they didn't really make any sense <laughs> to me. What, what's coming out of it? What, what, is he providing leadership? Um, well, he's very, very focused on saying the things that... Um, environmentalists want to hear because he thinks that that's where the votes are and that's where young votes are um and so for example one one thing that, that was a bit controversial today was that he said that he doesn't want to see uh coal um mines being reopened or new coal mines being established and in actual fact there's a new coal mine in planning in the north of england and cumbria um, and has been for some time which was sort of legally sanctioned by the state and for him to sort of ad hoc say no, actually, I don't want that. <laughs> it came as a bit of a shock to the people in the region where that was supposed to supply a lot of jobs and, and of course, income, and that's directly feeding into the steel industry. Um, that that particular coal mine is supposed to be be feeding into the steel industry, and if he now makes a U-turn on on the you know basis of of an ad hoc interview, it, it seems a bit rash. I think that's how people saw it. Dan, as you look at what happened in at COP26, as you listen to Mr. Trudeau talk about hard caps on, on emissions and the response from the Premier of Saskatchewan, as you know that Mr. Gilbo, and I think I've got him correctly saying that fossil fuel production in Canada is going to be done by 2030. Where are we? Where is this country headed in the short term? How serious are things? Well, I think it's very serious, and it's also extraordinarily uh, deaf for a government to proceed willy-nilly uh, down a path they know will lead the country to uh, the kind of outcomes that we're seeing in Europe. As Ms. Hoyer has 
quite rightly, very aptly and very effectively pointed out in Germany, uh, in the UK. Uh, but for a country that is a lot colder, uh, a country that is uh, blessed with an abundance of energy, uh, it is extraordinarily uh, you know, indifferent for the government of Canada to take a position uh, that basically uh, demolishes uh, its most important, most valuable uh, sector. And as a result, uh, will lead uh, not just to uh, consequences that I think are very predictable, uh, greater poverty in Canada, as well as uh, people having to choose between eating and heating, it will likely lead uh, to the uh, dislocation of the nation. And I, you know, I, I take note that other organizations and media may be saying, oh, this is just the West uh, being upset again. I would be very cautious uh, because I think that kind of uh, discussion, dismissive approach uh, to suggest that one issue is more important than another is precisely the, not the way to run a federation. It's likely to lead uh, to significant, perhaps unparalleled tensions between uh, the various parts. Well, we know we know there are we know there are regional tensions. There's no question that there's east-west tensions in this country. That's I mean that's that's a fact. When you say dislocation of the nation, what are you talking about? I think the nation is going to be looking at a, re, a recess uh, where uh, provinces are going to rightly demand the same rights that Quebec is is demanding and, and getting and uh, uh, holding out their hands for more money uh, to a government that is very close to being broke. Uh, I think it's likely to lead to uh, a financial uh, crisis for the nation to begin with, but also a political one. We know uh, that the, the alienation has been there for some time. But we also had a government in Canada for many years, uh, which I was part of, that was very deferential to what was happening. If we didn't have enough support out west, we didn't have enough seats out west, we did our utmost to make sure that every region of the country was properly represented and listened to. And when it came to energy, the last thing jean Chrétien and Paul Martin wanted to do uh, was to destroy the, the, the cash cow that kept our hospitals uh, and our uh, social programs going, as well as paying down our debt while putting Canadians back to work. So the world wants more Canadian energy. It's only Canadian politicians in the East, run by Mr. Trudeau, uh, who seem to be uh, running uh, very much a narrative that is contrary okay, let me, let me to ask reality. You this, let me ask you this question. Uh, the bankers, so we have the banks, the major banks in this country, major corporations like oil companies are say, are speaking essentially the same language as Mr. Trudeau and his government. What's going on there? Well, what's going on there is they don't care. Uh, you know, it's easy to talk about these things and not and mollify and appease a, a very loud group, uh, determined people, uh, while knowing full well that the only people who are going to pay for this are the ordinary jobs like yourself and myself. Uh, they don't really have to worry whether it's an oil company or whether it happens to be a bank. They can talk a big game about how they're going to meet certain targets, which are frankly impossible and I would argue very unnecessary. Uh, because they're comfortable in the knowledge that, uh, hey, people like us will wind up uh, paying for so, the free. The problem is there is enough money left. So when the RBC report, the $2 trillion, $2 trillion <laughs> to net zero, when it, when it said, and I found this line, and I asked John Stackhouse, the senior vice president of uh, RBC, about that, it says Canadians are going to, be have to are going to have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm still waiting for <laughs> The definition of uncomfortable. But let me, before before we go on with that, I want to ask uh, Katya for, uh, to just remind us, please, and not everybody who was with us last weekend, Katya, uh, or with us today, we were there last weekend. When you talked about nuclear energy options, you, you told us the Brits are more agreeable to considering nuclear energy than the Germans. Remind us why that is, please. 
I think most people are, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, in Germany, it's just historical reasons, really. The fact that during the Cold War, um, Germany was sort of the, the focal point of the tensions between um, the, the USSR and um, the USA. Um, and therefore, both um, superpowers stationed um, nuclear missiles on German soil, east and west, respectively. And there was this very real fear that if, if the Cold War becomes a hot war, um, that it's actually going to, to pan out or play out in Germany. Um, you know, there's nuclear bunkers everywhere still in, in Berlin, for example, underground, um, that are actually still, you know, active. They can be reactivated, basically. So, th so this is very much a reminder of what nuclear technology can do if it's if it's sort of used in a military context and Germans as a nation I think haven't forgotten that it's, it's very much left to trauma um there in the national soul and that's unfortunately I think um associated with with all nuclear technology and therefore um that there's this hostility towards it um they actually want to switch off all nuclear reactors in Germany next year um which means at the moment there's they're supplying around about 12 percent of the energy in in germany which may not sound a lot but if that suddenly breaks away um it is a fairly substantial part of it and coal is supposed to be well originally phased out by 2038 but the current coalition that's forming after the elections that we've had in september um is currently saying it will be closer to 2030 so if you take both of those things out and don't replace it with anything it leaves a huge gap. Um, and the fact that Germany isn't willing to fill this with nuclear energy, which is by by most people's standards, you know, deemed to be more environmentally friendly than, than coal and other fossil fuels, okay. then I don't really see where the energy is supposed to come from. Yeah, to I, have about, I, I have about a total of a minute left here. And I want to talk to you about your book, but we'll have to do that another time. Gotcha. And I want to ask, have you on the show uh, talking about the book. Uh, yes or no answer really quickly here. Uh, is, are the Brits and the Germans and the Europeans worried about this winter, about energy supply? Yes. <laughs> they Dan? should be. Dan? 20 seconds. Uh, they, well, yeah, they should be, but we should be as well. In fact, I think we're very complacent. The only thing we hear out of coming out of Europe is COP26, not the yeah. fact that many Canadians are facing cold winters. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.